Welcome to the Monogamous Marriage Podcast. We're Kate and Liam, married bisexuals a decade into our non-monogamous journey. We've been having sex with our friends for 10 years, and we're still madly in love with each other. We're the authors of the Monogamous Marriage blog, where we've been overthinking sex and love since 2016. This podcast is the place where we process our sexual adventures in real time. We are not experts, and nothing we say should be mistaken for professional advice. This show contains mature language and sexual content, so if you're under 18, it isn't for you. But if you're a fellow overthinker and you're not freaked out by unfiltered conversation, you're going to feel right at home. The subject of this month's podcast is dum 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 betrayal and in the world of non-monogamy betrayal is kind of a moving target so we have all agreed that we are going to break the rules and therefore we must set our own rules so that's where labeling something as betrayal is a little bit tricky because what feels like betrayal to me based on our agreements might not feel like betrayal to you based on your agreements and Those agreements can change over time. We've seen so many hard and fast rules fall by the wayside, so it can also affect our sensitivity. So let's agree for the sake of this episode that a betrayal is anything that has been agreed between you, that was explicitly expressed and understood, and was consciously broken. Right. Can we say that? That's fair. Is that fair? Okay. Absolutely. I think I want to point out too that betrayal is a very strong word, but like so many other things, it exists on a spectrum. So there are small betrayals, there are extremely large betrayals, and some things in between. So this is, I have to say, and I'm the betrayer in this situation, a rather serious one. So we actually tried to record this podcast two weeks ago, and it reopened the wounds, and we ended up fighting for another week. So we decided that based on our reaction, we probably had not done a great job, because we run the risk of becoming the argument podcast, and that is not our intention. Yes. It's a really important lifestyle skill. It's a really important relationship skill to be able to look back at the past and learn from it. And to do that, you have to be able to retell the story without relitigating the issue. And it sounds easy, but it's not. It's really about being objective. Can you report on what happened without re-experiencing all the emotions? And without becoming defensive and excusing your actions. Right. (laughs) So we are going to try again. This is the Betrayal Podcast, take two. Okay. (laughs) So it starts as always, with a story. And this story begins at a lifestyle meet and greet, a very typical event where we met a couple who we had interacted with online, but never gotten to know very well. And their names were Rachel and Connor. And during the conversation, I really felt a connection with Rachel. I found her attractive. But then again, I find lots of women attractive. But we talked and the more we talked, the more interested I became in her as a person. So we found out maybe later that they were going to be at an event we were also going to be at in a few months. So I think that commenced some online communication between you and her. Yes. The specific locus of that communication 
was our Twitter feeds. So she would post pictures regularly, I would, and we would comment appreciatively on each other's posts. And it's important to mention that this is the Liam Landon Twitter feed, which only you have access to, right? and not the monogamish marriage Twitter feed, which we jointly have access to. So you are having conversations mostly in reaction to your tweets in a public space, but at some point, those went into the DMs where I was not able to see the interactions anymore. Right. I remember we were going to be seeing them again at this event coming up and some coordination was required. So I thought it doesn't really feel right to put that in a comment on a picture. I'm just going to send her a direct message. So I did that. It was fairly innocent, but it opened up a new venue of communication. So the next elevation was that her husband got in touch with you and said that they would be open to playing separately. Right. So I talked to you about that possibility with Rachel and you were open to it. So I used that channel that I had opened up in the direct messages to start coordinating our time together. So there were a few messages going back and forth. And as the event drew nearer, you had more and more of these messages. So it's kind of understandable that if you're going to arrange to have a one-on-one -on -one sexual experience with someone, which I was okay with, that you might want to get to know them a little bit because you'd really only had one real-life conversation. So you had been doing this um, flirtation in advance, but you hadn't shown me the messages. So I said, just out of curiosity, hey, can I see those messages? So I looked at the messages and there were a couple months worth of them that I had not seen yet. And they were already getting to a place of intimacy that was a little bit emotional. So it wasn't just planning the logistics of getting together or doing, you know, the kind of sexual flirting that sometimes happens in a jokey, lighthearted way. Um, you were thinking about her all the time and you couldn't wait to feel your body pressed against her body. And I was like, first of all, that feels like more emotion than I'm comfortable with already. And you haven't even had sex with her yet. And second, there were a lot of messages that you hadn't volunteered to show me. So I said at that point, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable with this. Going forward, can you share these messages with me more frequently. So I gave you a few options. I said, maybe we can do a four-way chat because in the past, that's how we had conducted ourselves with other people we've had ongoing relationships with. Or if you feel like a four-way chat somehow is too public, or if you feel uncomfortable with that, you can keep them private between you, but I would like you to volunteer to show me the messages on a regular basis. So I am at least included in the loop. Right. So I agreed with that. I thought it was very reasonable. And you said you didn't want to do the four-way. Okay, so I said that I didn't want to do the four-way. It felt like there would be two participants and two spectators, and that felt awkward to me. So I agreed that I would show you the text messages as the conversation was continuing on. So we did get together at the event that we were scheduled to be at, and everything went really well. So after that, I felt like, of course, the natural thing is I would write her an appreciative note and saying how much I enjoyed the time we had spent. But then it became obvious that we were going to be at another event together and I kept text messaging her. Right. So again, when we got to that event, you had sex with her individually without me there. So over the course of those two events, which were a couple of months apart, you had, I think, three different sexual encounters and those were sanctioned by me and I was not in the room. But the messages continued without my really having been shown anything. Right. 
And it's important to point out that Rachel was showing Connor all of her messages. And she assumed that I was doing the same. She did not feel she was participating in any kind of betrayal. I had ways of explaining it to myself, but we're not going to get into that. Right. So all this happened in the summer. And then fast forward a couple of months, we were planning our annual Halloween party. And we included this couple on the guest list. They live pretty far away. Mm -hmm. Very Um, far they were, I think they were going to play, they were going to drive in like nine hours to come to this party. So they had taken time off work and made plans for overnight stays. And then the big moment of betrayal was revealed and the explosion happened. Right. So interestingly, the second time we had gotten together, we had planned in advance not to use condoms. So we had gotten tested and we had refrain from sexual contact with anyone else. And that was something that you knew about. So it occurred to me when they were going to drive all this distance to come and see us that it would be great to play without condoms again under the same rules, something that you had agreed to in the past. But I wasn't sharing the messages with you this time until about a week before our party when I said, oh, I'm going to go get tested this afternoon. Do you want to get tested? And you asked why. And I said, oh, because Rachel and I are going to play without protection again. And that was the beginning of a meltdown. Right. So I said, oh, really, where have you made those arrangements? Because I was not privy to them. And in my mind, if you're going to arrange to go without condoms, I should be the first one you ask. And then she should be the second one you ask. Right. So when you came to me and said, I've already made arrangements with Rachel, I was like, "Mm, where were these arrangements made? Can you please show me the messages? So at that point, I realized that I was now going to have to tell you that I had done something that I said I wouldn't do. And that's when I got slapped in the face, punched in the gut with over 200 messages that had been communicated in secret between you over the past few months. After my clearly outlining, I would like to see your messages going forward. So that's where the betrayal happened. That's where the clearly established boundary was broken. And so that was a really, really bad day. (laughs) Yes, you reacted in a way that I have never seen in our 11 years together. Yep, I lost my shit. You know, I I was faced with... At that point, what was it? July, August, September, October. Four months worth of messages that for you had happened gradually over those four months. So maybe you have a conversation that's three or four messages long, and then you, you know, walk away from that for a few days and then have another conversation with three or four messages. I got four months, 205 separate significant messages all at once. So for me, it wasn't the same experience that you had. My experience was I was seeing the unfolding of a relationship, and that's really what it had become because it was, again, a lot more than just the banter that you often get in a casual, you know, it was so nice to see you, I had so much fun, that was so hot kind of thing. It had become very emotional. It was poetry. It was what felt to me like giving permission to sleep with other people. So at one point she was going to an event and you said, I hope you know it's okay for you to have sex with other people. I really appreciate your sexual energy. So for me, it felt like an emotional kind of ownership, like the fact that you felt like you had to give permission for her to sleep with other people. And that spoke to me of a relationship. 
Right. And I think this is an important point at which to make that distinction between the perceptions of two people looking at the same circumstance. So for me, I felt that saying she should feel free to play with other people wasn't permission from a sense of possessiveness, but was actually an acknowledgement of the lightness and casualness of our connection. So I'm not saying my perception is right. I'm not saying yours is right either. I'm saying that we were looking at one situation that I felt said one thing and for you said something completely different. We are getting into dangerous territory here where Mm -hmm. you are kind of defending your actions and we don't want to go there. But for me, the difference maker was there was something special between you that warranted this message that you don't have with any of our other friends. So we have now basically laid out the story. This is the background for what we're going to discuss because it all starts here with an action and a reaction. Those are things that are common to all relationships, but it's what we do with it that makes a difference. And I would say we got a lot wrong at that stage. And this podcast in addition to informing and helping others, is also a chance for us to rewrite history by saying, what should we have done in that situation? And then actually going through that process, because I think you've discovered something that is very important. And we're going to start that process after this break for announcements. Travel has always been a big part of our lifestyle experience, and we are taking part in a number of amazing events in 2023 with NaughtyGym.com, with Room77Life.com, with Podcastapalooza.com. And finally, we have our new brand, Sapio Tours. So we are launching our own travel company where we are going to take small groups of lifestyle people to culturally and historically interesting places, mostly in Europe. And our first trip is to Crete. So Crete is the largest of the Greek islands, and we will be there June 9th to 16th of 2023. We have a new website, sapiotours.com, specifically for our travel. That's S-A-P-I-O-T-O-U-R-S.com. Am I right? That's right. And we'll also have information about all of these trips on our themonogamishmarriage.com website under upcoming events. So in the aftermath of the revelation of this betrayal, I went into extreme research mode, which is what I always do. So I read some books and listened to a lot of podcasts. And one of the resources I found was very helpful was Kate Lurie's new book, Open Deeply. And she has a podcast by the same name. And in both, she outlines her EPIC model of communication. So E-P-I-C. And it's specifically how to communicate during heated conversations. And it really centers the person who has been hurt. So that felt helpful to me because what often happens is I will say, this is really hurting me in either words or actions. (laughs) So either I cry or yell or um, I say specifically, this hurts. And you defend. And that just re-triggers. And we never get anywhere. So in her model, she basically says the offending party, and, you know, that's kind of heated 
language even there. Um, but the person who has done the hurt needs to take a back seat. They need to just observe and empathize while the person who is in the middle of their hurt gets a chance to communicate their hurt and basically like get their lid back on. Um, my lid was extraordinarily flipped. Um, so we are going to reenact and hopefully do a more productive job of dealing with these emotions using the epic model for you. So we can't rewrite history, as you said earlier, that's not possible, but we can revisit this and maybe deal with it in a way that is more healing and helpful. Yeah, I should point out that when you have a reaction, you're reacting to something that was done to you that was wrong. I was the source of it. But at that stage, I'm not experiencing anything traumatic. My concern happens as soon as you start to express your perspective on what I've done, then I am actually in crisis mode and I become equally unable to access my logical faculties and think only about defense, defense, defense. Right. And we both fall back into our most native positions, right? right? And that's the problem because you're not using your brain. Even when you feel like you're being logical in your defense, you are not. You right. are in an emotional space too. You are triggered. Correct. So this actually lets you off the hook. You don't have to say anything, which is maybe the hardest thing to ask you to do. It actually is because right. I'm in a situation where I feel like an emergency is happening and immediate action is required. So doing nothing is actually the hardest thing of all. Right. So first, Kate Laurie is careful to explain that attachment injuries, which is what was being triggered in me. So mm -hmm. my attachment injury is extreme fear of abandonment and the deep belief that I am not lovable. Right. And that comes from my childhood injuries of living with an emotionally dysregulated mother. So attachment injuries are processed by the brain as trauma. Mm -hmm. So I was experiencing or re-experiencing a deep trauma in this moment as I realized that you, my attachment figure now, had betrayed me in a way that felt very, very threatening to my safety. Mm -hmm. So I reacted in an extreme way to what felt like extreme stimulus. Right. I blew up in a way that I never have before. So I yelled, I swore, I slammed my hand on the wall, I knocked over a chair. I, toward the end of this conversation, after reading a couple hundred messages, threw the phone at you. Well, it, okay, to be very, very clear, I threw it beside you on the couch because my aim is actually decent. I could have hit you if I wanted to. It actually grazed my cheek, by the way. It actually hit you? Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, so let's just outline the four steps of the EPIC model of communication. So E stands for emotional. So that's where I get to express my emotion as the hurt person. Mm -hmm. And I get to say all the things I am feeling. And your job is not to express your emotion. Your job is to empathize with my emotion. So instead of reacting against my emotion, to really try and feel what I'm feeling and even try and draw out more of my emotional language. Right. So if I say, I am so angry right now, you can either just say, I see that. Or after I've gotten some of that anger out, then maybe you can say, is there anything else you're feeling that I should know about? So it's not your chance to express your emotion. It is the hurt person's chance to express emotion. Right. And it's so fascinating because I think of myself as 
eminently cool. So not cool in the awesome guy on campus sense, but cool in the sense that my emotions are under control. I think of myself as curious. I'm always wondering what's going on below the surface. But I can tell you the response you just described feels almost impossible to me because in a situation like that, I feel under attack at a moral level. And all I can think about is defending myself. Right. Well, she even talks about two different ways to react in an emotional way. Either you get elevated and heated mm -hmm. or you get cool and shut down. Right. So we each take one of those on, right? right? So I get elevated and heated and the more cool and shut down you are, the more I feel like I need to be more heated so that you understand what I'm saying to you. So if you can right. earlier say, I see how angry you are, instead of being super cool and shut down and distanced from me, that actually might help me to cool down faster. But I would have to stop defending myself against what feels like an attack. And that's the part that will be very hard work for me. Right. Not in this conversation, but in a situation like that. Or maybe even in this conversation. Maybe okay, in this so conversation. E is emotional. Yes. P is physical. And she says to watch for this throughout the whole process of this communication. So observe within yourself how you're feeling and try and kind of ground yourself, track your body. And remember that your brain is offline when you're triggered, but your body becomes the information system that you should listen to. Your brain's not working, but your body is working because you're in that fight, flight, freeze mode and all your information's coming from your body. So for me, um, I need to keep track of how I'm feeling physically. And for you, you need to watch my body for signals because the words coming out of my mouth might say one thing where you, you know, I'm trying to be logical, but my logical facilities are offline. You need to be paying attention to my body for the signals um, that will be most informative and most true in that moment. And that's another thing that's tricky for you, right? Well, there are so many different levels. You can correct me because you know more about it than I do. But those physical symptoms can have to do with pupil dilation. They could have to do with shallowness or depth of breathing, but also could involve stomping Slamming around. walls and knocking over chairs. That's yes, pretty clear. Those kinds of things. But again, one is kind of like an interrogator's perspective on physical responses, looking for subtle changes. And the other is actually seeing these big picture physical manifestations of the news that has been received by this person. Right. So again, your job is to observe those as carefully as possible mm -hmm. in as cool and removed a way as possible, which I know it's not easy when I'm throwing a phone at you. Um, <laughs> so emotional and physical are the E and the P. The I is intellectual. And this is where not you get to intellectualize and explain and defend yourself. No, the intellectual has to be in understanding and validating what I'm feeling, even if it's different from what you're feeling or from what your intention was right. that provoked this feeling. So your intellectual faculties should be more online than mine because I'm the hurt party who was triggered. Mm -hmm. So you should be using your brain not to defend yourself but to understand why I'm reacting the way I am. And then to express to me in a way that I hear, I hear that you're angry. I see that you're triggered or I understand why you would feel betrayed or whatever. So you're supposed to use your logic to understand me. Right. So all of these things are refocusing 
from like your intention and your um, sense of moral rightness and refocusing on me and trying to understand why I'm upset. So that's a really tricky thing to do in the heat of the moment. The final thing is compassion and action. So the C in Epic is compassion. And that's where you get to say, I really want to fix this. I really want to restore trust. Um, Here's what I am going to do differently going forward. So none of these steps have anything to do with you lawyering up or relitigating the case or defending the rightness of your position. All of them are, and if you are the person who is watching someone being hurt, this is super hard, but all of them are about centering that person's experience, allowing them to feel what they feel, and then getting them centered and calm And then at the end of this whole process, once the explosion has happened, once the volcano has erupted, then you can get to a place of action. Here's what I'm going to do differently next time. Here's what we can try and change going forward. Now, am I wrong to think that the compassion stage also goes in the other direction where you would say, so what was going on for you? How did you feel? How did you perceive this situation? We've now spent a lot of time on how it affected me and quite rightly so. But am I wrong in understanding that compassion has to do with you looking sympathetically at what my motivations might have been? Not in the moment. No. No, not in the moment. You have to be really cautious as the one who has done the injuring or done the misstep or the mistake or whatever to let your person (laughs) who Mm -hmm. has been triggered fully come down from their trauma response. And it is not a time to talk about yourself. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sorry. Once the the emotion has been deflated, maybe it's a week later. Right. Maybe it's a month later. Maybe as in our situation, here we are four months out, still feeling kind of triggered. Right. Maybe there comes a time when the hurt person comes to you. And this is very important. I must be the one who comes to you and says, okay, I'm ready to hear now what you need to say that maybe you feel was was not portrayed justly. Maybe you need to clarify some things that I got wrong. Maybe you feel like your motivations were misunderstood and I am now ready to hear your explanation. But you can't be coming at me saying, well, here's what I meant and here's what you got wrong, right? right. You have to wait for me to come to a place of curiosity where I then come to you. And and I think this even happened in the moment. Like I was yelling, what the fuck were you thinking? Like you promised you wouldn't do this and you did it. And so I was kind of demanding those answers, but I think you need to understand that that's just part of the anger process Mm -hmm. and not try to defend yourself then. Maybe even just say, we can talk about that later, but I see that you're still angry and I want to deal with that first. Right. Right. And so the more you practice this, obviously, the easier it'll get. But in the moment when you're heated, it's super hard to remember this stuff. So I feel like we should do a big poster on our fridge (laughs) that we look at every day to remember E for emotion, P for physical, I for intellectual and C for compassion. Okay, so let's go through the epic process now with this situation that we experienced as a case study. So you're going to start with the emotional. Okay. So my first reaction was, I am enraged. I am so angry that I made what felt like a reasonable request months ago. Hey, 
I see that you've exchanged these messages. They're a little more intense than I'm comfortable with. Can you please share them with me going forward? Felt like a very reasonable request on my part and very clearly worded and very explicitly agreed to by you. Right. And let me just validate from this perspective that that is exactly how I see it. A very reasonable request on your part that was not difficult for me to comply with. Right. So I was very angry that you took what was a clear and reasonable request. And obviously, because it was so clear, made the conscious decision not to abide by my request. So these messages were kept secret for months. So it wasn't just one message that you accidentally forgot to show me. It was 205 messages over the course of the four-month period that you consciously decided not to show me. So I was very angry. I felt very betrayed. I felt like in the context of our last year, you should have known better. So we had been going through the separate dating drama that if you've listened to this podcast, you've heard little bits of, but that was an ongoing thing for an entire year, really. And at this point in October, we were starting to wind down. I was starting to feel better about us, and um, I was allowing you to have these separate experiences with her. And I felt like, here I am doing the hard work. Everybody knows this is hard work for me. And all you have to do to keep reaping the rewards of my hard work is to just do the few things I ask of you right? So you can have sex with her separate from me. Just show me the messages. So I felt like it was extra silly, stupid, (laughs) ill-advised of you to, in this context, be breaking rules. Right. And you're right to think, what were the words you just... Stupid, (laughs) ill-advised. You're right to think silly, stupid, ill-advised, but those are very dispassionate words, just looking at the situation. But that's not how you were experiencing it. Oh, Liam did something silly. (sighs) It was deeper than that. And I think you need to share some of those emotions or maybe dig a little bit deeper on those. Yeah, I I felt like you were, were taking me for granted, which is an ongoing thing that I've been working really hard to give you what you want, despite the fact that it hurts me. And you are ungrateful and that you will always take that little extra bit that you can't have, that you will always be a cheater, like you cheated on your ex-wife, like I was afraid you would do if I didn't allow you to have separate dating, that there was always going to be a tiny layer that I would say, you can't have this, and you would always take that. So it felt very threatening to my safety, not just in that moment, but going forward. Anything I say to you, you can have this, but not that, you're always going to take that thing you can't have. And so I felt like this was just confirmation of all of my worst fears about separate dating and about your nature. So that was very threatening. I was angry. I was scared. I mean, scared was the the biggest underlying emotion for sure. But you didn't see that because scared was being protected behind a harder layer of anger. Can you say exactly what you were scared of? Like, do you have a real sense within yourself or is it a generalized fear of disconnection between us. Oh, I I felt in that moment like our marriage could not survive this. Yeah, I thought there's no way I can move forward and feel safe and secure in this marriage, knowing that even when I say something very reasonable and very clear to try and put some boundaries up to protect myself, you disrespect those boundaries, you disregard them, and I can never feel sure again that if I say, please don't, whatever, fill in the blank, 
you're not going to just do it anyway, because fuck you, Kate, I don't even fucking care about your feelings. Yeah, so it felt at the deepest, most existential level, like I was going to be alone again. I was going to be three times divorced. I was going to be out there having just quit my job and now being without any income on my own. And I was in the course of that evening imagining how we would sell the house and break up our assets and how I could, you know, afford to even live somewhere without an income. Everything was threatened. And so the anger that you saw coming out was just a very fierce protective mechanism to keep a little bit of safety around the super afraid child who was like, well, that's it. That thing you always knew that you're not lovable, that you can't trust that people are going to stick around and love you forever. You were right. Guess what? You are not lovable. This guy is only here for the good times. And as soon as you try to restrict his good times in any way, he's just going to hurt you. So, yeah. So this is me now practicing the principles of the epic framework by not at all defending myself. Thank you. Yeah. No, I feel good actually just <laughs> letting you say your thing, just letting it flow. Now, hopefully this is good practice because while I'm expecting we'll never have a situation this serious to deal with, I think the nice thing about it is it's applicable even to day-to-day differences that we experience over relatively trivial matters. So hopefully I'm getting some practice now doing this that I can apply in those situations, even if I never have to apply it to something as grand as we went through last October. So the next thing to watch for, and as Kate Lurie emphasizes, this is going to be um, something to track throughout, is my physical responses. So I know what I was feeling in my body. I was feeling uh, a real constriction in my solar plexus, like I had been punched. Mm -hmm. That's really how it feels to me. Like I can't take a full breath, like I've been winded. I shake. I get really freezing cold. My voice breaks. So I'm one of those irritating people that when I get really angry, I cry. (laughs) So that's irritating to myself. I wish I could be stronger in my presentation of my anger, but I cry. Yeah, I felt dizzy. I felt this like kind of tingly in my hands rush of anger, like I wanted to hit something. And that's your adrenaline, right? Mm -hmm. Um, I was ready to fight or run um, because I felt like I was, you know, being cornered in a survival situation. What did you observe? Um, I definitely saw all the outward manifestations. So I did not see any of the hurt. I did not see any of the sadness. I did not see any of the self-doubt. I saw, if this isn't too editorialized, I saw kind of a self-righteous anger. And on the physical side, it manifested in, as you mentioned, knocking a chair over, slamming the cupboard doors, being very big. So hands were in Mm -hmm. the air, almost like you would say... Like I was chasing off an attacking bear. Yeah, like a a (laughs) primitive strategy from the animal kingdom of making oneself appear larger in order to intimidate. Right. And and in that frame of mind, you can't do anything but that, right? right? I could not have stopped myself 
from pacing the floor and raising my voice. There's There was nothing in me that was able to control that. So that was going to come out anyway. So you as the person who is maybe, maybe you have your lid on a little bit more than I do, your job is just to bite your tongue, to let it come out um, like a volcano, right? Like there's there's been this huge eruption of emotion and it cannot be tamped down. And so that just needs to come out in some way, because if you try to suppress it, it's going to come out eventually anyway. So you really have no control. <laughs> the only thing you can control is your reaction. And you just have to kind of sit back, say, I see you, I hear you, I'm sorry. Anyway, so the second two parts, the intellectual and the compassion and action, that's where I've gone through my process. I've said all the things I want to say. I've railed, I've yelled, I've sworn, <laughs> whatever I'm going to do. Or I've cried, I've begged, <laughs> I've done as much logical explaining as I can. And then we get to the intellectual side. So this is where you get to validate my experience and my feelings. Right. So it's interesting because the emotions are hidden to me. The emotions as emotions, their effects are not hidden. So I'm seeing the physical manifestation. So now it's undeniable that something is going on. So I need to start asking you questions. This is not the time to ask me questions because my brain is not yet back online, right? So I'm still in that evening of raging and freaking out. And your job is not to ask me questions because I'm not capable of answering in any way that's logical or satisfactory. Your only job is to validate what I'm feeling. So you could say things like, I hear that you're angry. I understand that you feel betrayed. I see that you are shaking. Can maybe, can we sit down and take a deep breath together, right? right? That is it. You're not asking me for information. You're just observing me and using your intellect. So you know me, right? You mm -hmm. know that in the context of this year, I have been very frightened, right? Mm -hmm. That there, We've had lots of conversations about that. So you can bring for your sure. previous knowledge to this moment and say, I see how angry you are. And I know that because of your attachment style, because of all we've learned, that this is really about your fear of abandonment. I know that, right? So all of that makes me feel seen and will help to diffuse my anger. Now, can I ask you a question? Mm -hmm. If I, in my coolest, calmest voice, say, I see that you're feeling threatened right now because of experiences in your past, is there not a chance that you will now find something bigger to throw at me? <laughs> uh, I think my answer would be like, no shit. Like, why didn't you think about that four months ago when you started keeping these secrets, right? You should have known that this is my biggest fear. You should have understood the context of this, right? So yeah, you're going to continue to bring out E, emotion. <laughs> mm -hmm. But the more you say things that are accurate, the more you say, I see how angry you are. I see how triggered you are. I understand why this was the worst thing for me to do. I understand that your anger is really protecting your fear. Then eventually that's going to get through to me. So it, the initial thing might bring out more emotion and that's probably unavoidable. Right. But the more you do not defend, the more you focus on me and my experience and validate that, yeah, I have every right to be angry. Yeah, I even understand why you knocked over that chair. This was a really big betrayal. I am so fucking sorry, right? Maybe you don't even say that yet. Maybe that's compassion in action. But 
You just need to kind of let me feel my feelings. Don't try to stop me. Don't try to chastise me. Don't try to talk me down. Although the effect will be eventually that I'm talked down. But just keep saying, like, I, I see you. I understand you. I understand why this is such a difficult thing for you right now. You are totally valid in feeling really angry. I get it. Or maybe, you know, I don't know how this would have been received, but maybe even like saying, can I give you a hug? So maybe in that moment, it wouldn't have been the right moment, but maybe it would have been because we've had this conversation before, right? Where that night during the separate dating fight, I went down the hall. All I wanted was for you to come in and give me a hug, right? Right. We talked about that in the podcast. Mm -hmm. You could have tried it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Any of those reaching out behaviors probably would help to bring the anger down faster. No, not probably. Absolutely will bring the anger down faster than defensiveness. The big difference is in not defending, right? Not trying to explain why what I did yeah. was not as bad as you think it is, which is really about invalidating your feelings, mm-hmm. trying to convince you that you shouldn't feel the way you're feeling because my motives were way less threatening than you think they are, which is my natural tendency to argue that case until the cows come home. Right. And you even tried to that night. Oh, did I ever? Yeah. So that's just going to re-trigger me. That's just going to prolong the flipped moment, right? Mm-hmm. So the more you can move toward and say, I understand, I see you, I feel you, the faster I am going to get through my eruption and come down to a place of being able to be more logical and get my my lid back on. Right. So that's the intellectual part. The compassion part of EPIC, the C in EPIC, shows up in what way? It's the, again, not defending, but saying, I understand that this has really caused a rift between us. I get that this has damaged your trust in me. And Kate Lurie uses compassion and action together. So you must first have compassion and act from that place in order to take appropriate action after you've hurt someone. So first you have to say, I get that I've broken down your trust. I get that it's going to be hard for you to believe me when I say things going forward. And then here's what I'm going to do to fix it. So in the future, I am going to endeavor to whatever. So whatever Mm -hmm. your action plan is to rebuild my trust. Again, not in a defensive way, just in a, I see you, I understand what I've done, and this is what I'm going to do to address it. Right. So what did you do? How have we in the past few months worked to rebuild our trust? Well, I think the first thing I did during the eruption and many, many times after was make a clear apology. So I can tell you exactly what I said word for word because I've repeated it so often. I said that I would not send messages without showing you, and then I did the thing that I said I would not do. That does not meet my standards for ethical behavior, and I am sorry that I did that. I will not do that again. So part one was delivering an unambiguous, accountable apology for what I did. But it's not enough because compassion entails making a plan for change. And so I said a few things to you in the days that followed that were the expression of my plan. So the first was obvious that I would not send secret messages again. So I looked for and found things I had already sent 
that weren't bad, that weren't in this type of category at all, but I just made sure I showed you. In fact, you gave me the passwords for any accounts that I didn't have access to. So your Instagram and Twitter accounts that were yours alone that I didn't have the passwords for, you gave me the passwords. And and I hated that we even got to that place. Right. But I felt like, yeah, that's probably an appropriate action. Yes. And I felt like there is now going to be an audience for these things. So you may never check, but the fact that you can check will have an influence on my communication. Mm -hmm. So that was a part of it. The second thing that I did was to address the immediate situation, which was that Rachel and Connor had an invitation to our party and the party was now two weeks off. And it was obvious that we could not continue to have the party with them present, not because they had done anything wrong, because as I mentioned earlier, they, and specifically Rachel, did nothing wrong. She had shown all her messages to Connor and they had enjoyed them together and I had not allowed you the opportunity to do that. So it meant that I had to contact them and disinvite them. And it was particularly painful because I like to be the no drama person. And now I'm going to say, you have made arrangements to drive a great distance to come to our party, but you can't come and you can't come Because of nothing you did, you did everything right, and your reward for doing everything right is that you cannot come to this party, which wasn't just to see us, but there were other guests there that we both felt that they would really appreciate seeing. Yeah, so I suppose we can pause that there, and then when we come back after this short break, you will have your chance to say your piece. Okay, that's more than fair. Thank you. We'll be back to you shortly. We should just take a second to tell people about the Crete trip because it is going to be the template for other events that we're organizing. Crete is going to be from June 9th to 16th and we are doing a full takeover of a 12-suite villa. We are organizing all the transportation to and from the airport, daily excursions, a private chef for meals for 4100 US dollars. So for less than what you would pay for hedonism or desire, you can go to Europe. So we have sold this trip out, but of course there's always the potential that someone cancels. So if you're interested in that trip, let us know by emailing us at themonogamishmarriage at gmail.com or by filling in the contact information sheet on our sapiotours.com website. And our vision for future trips is that we are going to take a small curated group of intellectually curious, kind, intelligent, interesting, sex-positive people to different European destinations. We're looking ahead at maybe doing the grape harvest in Tuscany. We're looking at Portugal. We're looking at Sicily. So there are lots of possibilities in our future, but the one thing that will link it all together is this idea of culturally and historically interesting places where non-monogamous people can come together and learn things and experience some European culture, but also meet some sexy, like-minded folks. Okay, so after the initial eruption is over and after the emotion has come down in a situation like this, what Kate Lurie advises in her book, Open Deeply, is that the person who has been hurt finds within themselves enough calm and patience and curiosity to come back to their partner and say, okay, 
The storm has passed. I'm feeling more settled. Now I'd like to give you a chance to add anything you want to say. So in the heat of the moment, it's really tempting for the person who has done the hurt to try and explain themselves. And it comes across quite often as being defensive. And in the heat of the moment, that is not going to be good. That's just going to continue to feed the fire. What you need to do to bring the fire down is to just say, I'm sorry, I'm listening. Just acknowledge your partner's emotions. Because if I come at you with high emotion and you say, I'm sorry, but here's why I did it, you are giving me more to fight against, more to be upset about. And that's going to prolong that period of high emotion. So if you just say, I'm sorry, you're right. I shouldn't have done it and stick to that and only that, you're going to diffuse that emotion. You're going to put the blanket on the fire pretty quickly. And that will help to avoid adding potentially more harm. So let's assume all of that has happened. Mm -hmm. I've calmed down. Maybe it takes a day. Maybe it takes a couple of days. Maybe it even takes a week. In that time, your difficult job is to be patient and to Do whatever cooling down needs to happen on your side as well, because even though you present as fairly calm, this was an emotionally elevating experience for you as well. It absolutely was. So both of us have that time to cool down. And then I come to you and say, okay, Liam, I've calmed down for now, but just be warned that I'm still kind of on the edge of being easily triggered. But I do want to give you an opportunity to say anything you feel I didn't understand or to, you know, present some of your side, trying to be careful about not being too defensive and undermining that apology you gave me. So in this situation, was there something that you were feeling like you were really biting your tongue on throughout the initial fight? Like something that you really, really wanted to say, but as a good partner, you were trying to just acknowledge my pain and not defend yourself. Um, If there are those things, this is the time to do it. Right. So before I jump in, I'm going to ask you either from Kate Lurie's perspective or from your personal perspective, what do you think this part of the compassion and action stage of the EPIC model is really all about? What would you hope to gain from it? Well, I think it's two part, right? So the, the person who has done the hurt probably wants to have a chance to give their side of the story. That is probably the hardest job of that person is during the fight to not defend themselves. So now they get to finally launch a defense, but hopefully it's cooler now and they're not in an elevated place themselves and they can provide information that sounds like facts rather than excuses, which, you know, is quite often right on the same line. But part of it is the tone and how you come at the person. So you see this as a safety valve, like that person who's had to do a lot of absorbing Mm -hmm. now finally gets a chance to let off some of that emotional pressure that they've built up. Yeah, because I'm sure on your side, it would feel unfair if you never got to explain your side of the situation. So I don't want it to be, and I don't think Kate Lurie's idea is that the person who does the hurt never gets to speak. Right. It's just that in the moment of highest hurt, it's not going to be a productive time to speak. So partly it's giving you a chance to answer whatever accusations have been thrown at you, but in a cooler place where you're going to be a more effective communicator and I'm going to be a more productive listener. So partly it's for you as the offending party, Mm -hmm. um, but partly it's for me too. So I really do want to know 
Why did you do this? You know, in our life, you have a lot of freedoms and I was okay with you sending messages. I only had one small request. Just please share the messages with me. So I want to know what is the gap there between me saying, no problem, write the messages, just show me. And you feeling like, I can't just show her, even though I said I was going to, because there might be some useful information there in the middle where I can learn something about myself or about you or about how we communicate that will help us prevent these kinds of things going forward. So it should be a helpful learning experience for me, as well as kind of a kind of a cathartic pressure release for you after the um, the heat of the moment has passed. Right. So before I launch into that, I want to say a couple of things. First of all, nothing I am going to say is an excuse So that apology that I went through in the last part of this episode is is my real feeling. There was no excuse for not doing what I said I would do. So everything I'm about to say is not in any way exonerating. But I do believe in understanding, and I think it's helpful to say, how does this kind of thing happen? I'm answering the question that you yelled at me, quite understandably, how the fuck could you do this? So here are all the ingredients, because it can also help me to understand myself as well. Okay, so that is up to you to uh, keep things non-defensive. I guess I have three main things I'm curious about. So the first is, what were you thinking at the time? And the second would be, how has your thinking changed since then? And then the third thing would be, what can I do going forward to make sure you don't feel that you need to keep secrets from me? So those are my three things. Okay. So I think the first precondition to me making the decision that I did was that general feeling that what I was about to do was something that didn't seem too bad to me. So that if you had a similar situation where you were really connecting with someone and you sent private messages to them and didn't share them with me, and then four months later showed me them, I really believe, although of course it's hypothetical, but I really believe I would be thrilled by that. Okay, I have a real problem with this line of reasoning Mm -hmm. because it implies that you had some confusion about how I would feel. Like, you would love it, So therefore, I should love it if there are messages that are kept secret. But that completely disregards the fact that I had already seen the messages, expressed my desire to have you share the messages going forward. So there was zero ambiguity as far as how I felt and what I wanted from you. So you can't say, oh, I would love it, so she'll probably love it. No, no, no. You knew very clearly I did not love it. That was already established. Right. What I'm talking about is a subconscious permission giving that at a deep unspoken level says, oh, this isn't a big deal for me. It probably isn't a big deal for her, a kind of decision that we make all the time in marriages. So it's not logical. It's not rational. It's not based on my experience of you, but it's only a very small part of the story. So if you really believed it was not a big deal, why did you make the promise to show me the messages in the first place? Because in the abstract, it made so much sense. But then when I'm confronted with having typed something that I think you're not going to love and you're going to ask me to modify or not to send at all, the selfish part of me says, I would like to send this. I would like to say something that would make this other person happy 
and I make the decision not to show you. So that gets to another big aspect of this, which is that I felt confident inside that I was not planning to fall in love with this other individual, leave our relationship. And so there wouldn't be a time when you would say, I wish I'd seen those messages. So I would have known what was coming because in my mind, there was nothing coming. So I wasn't speaking ill of you. I wasn't declaring love for this individual. So again, as I said, these are not excuses. These are not reasons why you should think it was no big deal. It was a big deal for me to say that I would not do this thing and then do it. But that's the kind of reasoning that was going on in the background for me. Okay. And so how has your thinking and reasoning changed since then? Overwhelmingly, it's because of my love for you, having seen how much it hurt you. And yes, it's tempting to say, how did you not feel that in advance? Why did we have to go through all this pain? And I wish I had a really great answer for that, but I don't. So I looked at this situation as being not harmful to anyone and that it was something that I could do and keep quiet and that there would never come a time when you would be hurt by it. But I was completely disregarding the potential fallout of being found out. And now that I've seen that, that changes everything for me. And I wish I had felt that before, but I didn't. Okay. And was there anything I did that made you feel like I was kind of putting you in a corner, like you had to keep these a secret from me that I can change going forward to prevent this from happening again? No, I don't believe there's anything. Because I think the example that we see now, when I show you messages that I think may be tiptoeing up to the line that separates acceptable from unacceptable communications, you're very easy to get along with. You're very supportive of me. And I don't think you've even asked me to change anything that I brought to you. So I don't think you could do anything differently. So what made you feel then in the moment like... I can't show these to Kate because she's going to be unreasonable. So if I hadn't done anything before that made you afraid of me, and I haven't done anything since that you feel like I should have reacted differently, what made you feel in the moment like, ooh, I can't show these to Kate? Because I knew the messages that I was sending, you would have asked me to change some of them. Because why? Well, because you've read them since and you have said to me, yes, I would have asked you not to send that. So my intuition about you, my knowledge of you in our relationship told me that you would not be cool with certain things that I was saying. So I, in the moment, wanted to say those things and I chose to bet on my ability to keep it a secret. And you wouldn't do that again because... Because I saw the results of doing that. I saw that I not only can't, but I don't want to keep a secret. And the price for modifying my communications so that you feel comfortable is very, very low. So the only thing that's changed is that I had a big tantrum. And now you understand that what I said initially, which is the level of intensity of these messages makes me a little uncomfortable and I'd like to be at least privy to them going forward. That was not clear enough. That message back in May of last year was not clear enough. But when I found all the messages and knocked over chairs and slammed the wall and 
swore, that was all of a sudden clear enough for you to hear it in order for you to actually like believe me when I say, I'm not comfortable with this. Please show me what's changed. Like other than the level of emotional outburst, has there been any internal change in you? Cause you say now you understand that I wouldn't like it, but I think you probably could have understood it back in May when I said it really clearly. Well, at the risk of sounding simplistic, I really, really understand it now. So, I mean, it's the truth. So it's that's, a good thing I had that big tantrum. Well, that's what Kate Lurie is talking about, which is these things happen. People who are hurt have some version of an explosion. And the job of the person who caused the hurt is to observe carefully and learn. So all I can say to you is that I am following the Epic model. I have observed what you went through. We've processed it in a systematic way on this podcast, and it has made a difference. And I think she would say that's exactly her intention, to take these situations from occurring over and over again as we repeat the same mistakes and breaking the cycle by being intentional about looking at the emotions, the physical, the intellectual, and then the compassionate side of things. So, on the record, for our podcast audience, anytime you go back on a promise or break an agreement or deliberately keep a secret from your partner, you're probably in dangerous territory. <laughs> and so we should just like remember that lesson moving forward and not do it again. Correct. <laughs> and so far, you've been doing a good job of that. You've shown me any messages you're going to send and I think I've done a good job of being receptive and saying, yeah, sure, no problem. Go ahead and send that. And I've even worked to set up some other separate sexual experiences for you since that time. So we just have to keep doing that going forward and keep investing in ourselves and our relationship and prioritizing us. I agree. Okay. Well, I appreciate you going through this process with me. I know it was not easy. And I appreciate you giving me a chance to share my perspective too. Okay. Well... I love you. I really love you. Bye for now. Thanks so much for listening. If you want to keep in touch between podcasts, you can follow us on Twitter at monogamish1 for our joint account, or you can follow us separately. I am at Kate Monogamish on Twitter. And I am at Landon underscore Liam on Twitter. We're also both on Instagram. We are. And I am under The Monogamish Marriage, or you can just search for Kate Monogamish on Instagram. Or Liam underscore VS underscore time. So that's Liam versus time on Instagram. So that's got to be more of the monogamish marriage than you could possibly want. But if you want to check out our OnlyFans accounts, you can go to OnlyFans.com and search for either Kate Monogamish, all one word, or Liam underscore Landon. Thanks again for listening. We'll look forward to talking to you again soon.